Hello, welcome to the Sentencing Council podcast, Sentencing Explained. My name is Peter McClellan, and I am the chair of the council. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. This episode focuses on circle sentencing. This restorative justice program is available to Aboriginal offenders in some local courts in New South Wales. The circle, as it is known, provides a way of sentencing Aboriginal offenders involving Aboriginal elders and respected members from the local Aboriginal community. Today we are joined by Marie Jennings. Marie is a Senior Policy and Projects Officer in the Aboriginal Services Unit in the Department of Communities and Justice. Marie has a significant experience in circle sentencing, starting as a volunteer community panel member in Mount Druid, and now working on the operation of the program with the department. Thank you for joining us today, Marie. Thank you for having me. Marie, um, I think you've been involved in a number of areas to do with the justice system. Give us some idea of your career path. Sure. I actually started off um, in Centrelink with the federal government, Um, so obviously with the community contact there, so from a welfare perspective, and then came across Circle Sentencing, um, which was operating in the Mount Druitt community, and was involved with that and thought it was a wonderful program. The project officer role became available and I applied for it. I thought if I'm going to ever finally leave Centrelink, because I started there in my career, um, as a trainee, if I was ever going to do it, this would be the role that would call me out. And I was very fortunate to get that role and absolutely loved the job. Mm-hmm. I've lived in Mount Druid all my life, but my family ties are actually in Queensland, right. um, in Rockhampton on my dad's side with the Durrumbul Nation. Uh-huh. And then on my mum's side, it's the Goongadi Nation, which is central west Queensland, so around Mitchell, Orgathella, Charleville. Um, but my mum and dad actually met in high school in Rockhampton. My mum was stolen generation and mm. was in one of the orphanages there and ended up in Sydney because my dad was conscripted into the army with the Vietnam War, came through Western Sydney, loved it back then. It was sort of rural looking uh-huh. <laughs> and um, and thought, you know, once he gets out of the army, he'd like to raise a family there. So family from Queensland followed him down and, and we've sort of been out in Western Sydney ever since. Right. So at what stage of your career path, as it were, did you get involved in circle sentencing? Were you, by that stage, a senior bureaucrat or how, how, does, it, no, I would how have, does it work? Um, in the local Centrelink service offices, I was a sort of middle management. I was a team leader of the right. Indigenous Services Unit that worked across Sydney. Um, and the project officer at the time, um, she asked me to be involved in the circle never knew what it was until I went there on the day and saw how the court operated, the circle court operated, and, and yeah, it really struck me at how powerful it was. So at that stage, what was, your, what was the nature of your involvement? Um, as a, com- a community panel member at that stage. Right, and you're now a project officer. No, oh, I was a project oh, officer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, you were. Yes. Uh, for how long? Uh, would be... I did a, at first it was roughly 12 months, then I went into the head office and then I came back in 
2014 for another 12 months and then went off and did a couple of more projects. So I've had, if you were to look at it all combined, two years as the project officer, um, but throughout the whole 12 years that I've been with the department, I've always had something to do with circle sentencing. And what's your role in relation to circle sentencing now? Now it's more around the reporting. Um, I'm working um, with the central team where we're creating um, reporting mechanisms, databases. Uh, so that's kind of been where I've, I've looked over it over the last few years. Right, um, well, and we, we should go back a step then. I, I guess you'd better tell us how does it operate? What, What's the structure okay. of Circle Sentencing? The structure of Circle is it's an actual court that involves community panel members in the decision making. We make a recommendation to the magistrate. We sit in a circle with the magistrate, the defendant, the legal representatives and at times the victim as well and usually three community panel members. And we get to hear the facts criminal history, we get to observe, um, read the criminal history and then deliberate after listening to the defendant. It, it's structured in, a, it's bringing culture into the legal system, but it's still operating within the confines of the, the legal system. So, so it's not a separate court. So there's a person who has been charged with a particular offence. Yes. An ab- Aboriginal person. Yes. Uh, and they come to court before a magistrate yes. to be sentenced appropriately for that offence. But the circle process involves then a structure around the magistrate to help to reach a conclusion. Is that right? Uh, to a certain degree. The, the sentencing happens with the community panel members. So, and it's the community panel members that make the recommendation of the sentence based on the facts and, of course, the scale of the offence in relation, uh, the scale of the sentence in relation to the fact, um, the offence. And is the magistrate bound to accept that recommendation? Um, not bound, no. However, in most cases, they agree, and they even intend, in some cases, advise on the sentence as well. Right. And how many panel members are there? Three as minimum. And how are they chosen? Where do they come from? They come from the local community and they're respected community members or elders and the project officer usually are the ones that select the panel members. Um, And then, of course, you've got to look at if there's a connection with the defendant and the panel members. We've got to ensure that there's no conflict of interest. However, there's got to be the connection to community. So you're respected community members, is that the way? Uh, Yeah, I'd term it as that, yes. And uh, are community members paid for their involvement? No, volunteer. So you volunteer? Yes. Um, And at that stage, did you still keep doing your job uh, elsewhere? Yes, yep. But on occasions... You were then chosen to be a panel member. Yep, selected. That required you to get leave from your job. Yes, yeah. Uh, And what sort of time commitment did it involve in Um, those days for you? It's roughly you allow two hours um, for the court to happen. So yeah, you'd give yourself a two-hour window. And once you became involved as a a member of the panel process, how often were you called upon to sit? Um, Usually once a month. Yeah, the circle, because because of the um, amount of hours it would take from the magistrate's diary, um, it's usually two hours, so we would allot 
two hours per month for a circle to be held. In some cases, it'd be two circles per month, so that would be four hours. So, and you were always a member of the panel? Not always, because we had a good uh, pool to be able to, to um, reach from to have as panel members. So you could have a pool of probably five to ten and you could call them up. You'd obviously do a bit of an assessment to see who would be appropriate. We'd get some of the gentlemen in if we had young men that were there. We'd get some of the aunties in if there was a younger person. And how do, how do you get to understand who all those people might be? Uh, Your connections. But is there a register? Do you keep a list or how, no. does it, how does it happen? How does it work? You would have a list um, because you've, you've definitely got to have people who are invested in the circle because it's voluntary. It's taking up people's time. Um, so you'd have a list per se, but um, you've got to be well connected in your community as well. When you say the community, what do we understand that to mean? In the Aboriginal community, the local Aboriginal the community. The local community. Yes. So the local community at Mount Druitt yes. is a Mount Druitt community, or how do we, how should we understand it? Okay. It's quite a diverse community in Mount Druitt. It's not not always full of traditional Darug people. It's Mount Druitt's very transient, and we've got people from all over New South Wales in particular that have lived in Mount Druitt for many many years decades and um but you've got a lot of people there from those different countries that are well established have done great work well respected well known in the community and you you call on them and their expertise and their life experience and who does the calling who? the project officer the circle right. sentencing project so officer. out of mount Druitt, yes the magistrate is continually doing some circle sentencing once a month or yes maybe twice and then there's a project officer that helps to administer the system. Is that what happens? The project officer is usually the one that oversees everything, facilitates and coordinates everything. Um, I guess their role in ensuring that the magistrate's available is liaising with them to ensure that they can get time on the diary or on, the, on whatever date that they have available. And then the project officer is the one that does all the negotiating, contacting, facilitating now, the type of offences that might come before a circle, do they include drug and alcohol-related matters? Uh, to, su- to some extent, um, they've got to be summary offences, but there are certain offences that don't come before circle. Um, and they, like, we have had people come before circle with drink-driving offences. Um, uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head but I do recall that we may have had a few people with some drug driving offences as well um, but there are certain ones and I do think some there are some that fall under the drug category that cannot come before circle. What would be the most common type of offending that comes to circle? Assaults, malicious damage, driving offences, more likely to be young men than women? Yeah, we do have a higher higher representation of Aboriginal men coming before circle. Now, can we then go back to understand a bit more about the process? Yes. Let's say we have a young 20-year-old who's committed an assault offence and maybe has a record for some minor crime previously. Is he a person who may come before a circle? Yes. For sentencing? Yes. Um, And so the project officer would gather together three 
community members. An assessment process has to happen before then. Assessment, what's that For circles. So there's always an assessment process and that determines um, the client's or the defendant's eligibility. So they've got to demonstrate that there's a connection to community. Of course, the defendant, because it's a voluntary program, the defendant has to agree. agree. Mm -hmm. And they've got to be found guilty or plead guilty. Um, So that process needs to happen. And then... like the assessment happens where a conversation happens with the defendant to also say are they remorseful do they think circle's going to be something that so this conversation is with the project officer project officer and community justice group members as well we haven't got to the circle yet no 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 this is assessment assessment process yes so the project officer is talking to our young 20 year old offender yes to see whether or not he or she thinks the offender is suitable for circle and find out whether they agree to it. Yes. But there's also an assessment process at that point? Yeah, that is the assessment process. By by the project officer. And community justice group members as well. And who are they? So they're um, in the locations where we have circle sentencing operating, we also have Aboriginal community justice groups in operation as well. So they're like um, a group of community members who have undergone criminal history checks and are there to advise on justice issues in that local community. So are they there to assess our young 20-year-old fellow? Yes. Um, or to advise him? What's their role in relation to him? They're there to assess to see if he's eligible for the circle based on connection to community, based on if he's volunteered and, and agreed to go, and also if he's remorseful as well. There's got to be a level of remorse and I think that kind of um, encompasses the restorative justice principles that Circle's reflective of as well. So how many people would be involved in this assessment? Three. Three. There needs to be a quorum there of three members, justice group members. Right. However, we've recently had, uh, well, I say recently, in the last five years, we had regulation changes where the project officer can stand in place of the community justice group members if they are not available, but make sure that they liaise with some of the community justice group members as well. So it doesn't and, have to be an in-person assessment. And will community justice um, people tend to be elders from the community? Uh, it's a great mix of people. You'll Is have it? elders, you'll yeah. have service, Aboriginal people who are in services in that local community. Yeah. Um, and yeah, general interested Aboriginal community members. So if they come to the view that our young 20 year old is not suitable circle yes then i assume he will be sentenced in the ordinary way yes if they decide that he is suitable what then happens that then um the matter goes back for mention and his application of suitability is accepted and then the date for circle is set and then the project officer works on getting the panel members together getting all the documentation together and ensures that everything's ready for that day when circle has been set now tell us what happens on that day. On that day. Yeah. So everyone comes, sits in a circle. And you say everyone. Everyone as you in... You the magistrate's there. The magistrate. And we have sheriff officers there as well. The offender's there, obviously. Yep, the offender, their legal representative, the police prosecutor. Then we'll have the three elders or three panel members. Sometimes in some locations I'll include community corrections as well as an advice on what support and supervision could happen. Mm. Um, And victims, 
victims are there too? Yep, they're always, if there is a victim to the crime, they're always invited. Right. Nine times out of ten, they will decline. Mm-hmm. But um, we do often get either a victim impact statement or someone to speak on the behalf. Is it done in a courtroom? It, some places, yes. Like in the shine room or in, in a, like a, one of the meeting rooms there. But other times it's taken off premises as well. Right. And in a local, um, a local venue where it's suitable, um, easily accessible, and of course those safety checks have happened to ensure the magistrate's fine and yeah. if the person's got to be taken into custody. And then help us to understand the process. The magistrate presumably chairs the session? No. Project officer chairs the circle and also facilitates the discussion that happens in the circle. So there's an agenda that is followed and it's um, usually the police prosecutor will read the facts and then the defendant gets an opportunity to speak to the facts and their legal representative will then talk on behalf of the defendant as well and then it's opened up to the panel members for questions, remarks um, and so a bit of back and forth will go. So is the offender questioned in this process? Yes. About what? What sort of uh, things will be raised? What were they thinking at the time? Um, a whole range of questions. It depends on the circumstances, of course. If, for, say, for example, this young gentleman, that 20-year-old with an assault charge, he'd be asked questions like, what was going through his mind? Was he under the influence of anything? Um, you know, is this standard behaviour that he's lived by? What was his background like? What was his upbringing like? Did he live like that? Was that his normal? And so those kind of probing questions get asked and it's not a a situation where they can just go yes, no or hide behind their legal representative. They actually have to be accountable and respond. And sometimes it's quite uncomfortable when you're watching one of the elders probe really deep. What's going on? Well, what do you think you were going to get as a result of your behaviour there? Or, Or did you not consider the impact or your effect on someone else? So... They really get um, the spotlight put on them, and it, it's you know I, I guess in some instances it'd be how I'd respond to my children if they did something wrong. I'd be like, well, think about your behaviour, think about your impact on other people, and this is what they have to do in the circle. And how does the circle ultimately resolve its recommendation in relation to the sentence that should be imposed? What's the process to arrive at that? Um, there is a, the panel members are given paperwork where for each of the offence there's a scale of sentencing outcomes that could um, be imposed for that particular offence. So what, between maybe... A, a fine to... Three years. Imprisonment, in yeah. Oh. And uh, so conversations happen in front of the defendant and their, the solicitors and the police prosecutor around what the panel members are thinking. And um, it's quite interesting. I I, I was on a circle panel uh, a little while ago last year and, you know, we had to take into consideration uh, for the defendant. Some of us weren't convinced that he was going to comply with the conditions that were placed upon him with his sentence and ended up giving him, uh, is it a Section 11 Griffith remand? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, he had three months to demonstrate that he was going to commit before it was um, 
reconvened the right. circle with the same panel members. And, and he did. He came back and he did. He demonstrated that he did what he needed to. So that was taken into consideration when the final sentence was handed down for him. And that was all with the magistrate's guidance. As so well. if the range was a fine to three years um, and this, this discussion, is, is it does it involve the offender in any way arguing for a lesser penalty or accepting uh, the penalty that the members think should be imposed? Their legal representative does get an opportunity before the sentencing deliberation happens and they will say, look, we're looking for this and we ask the court to take into consideration A, B and C and then so that's taken into consideration but then the conversation is happening with the panel members uh, we also get to hear from the police prosecutor as well around that they'll give their recommendations right. as well and then the conversation happens with the panel members and of course if we need guidance or advice from the magistrate we'll ask in that and it's all happening in front of everybody and then who actually then decides what the the number or the fine should ultimately be, is it that group? Yes, the panel members. Does the magistrate play a part in that? Very much so. So if if, if the offence, say it was the assault, mm. and the, the legal representative for the defendant said no conviction, dismissal, mm. you know, and the panel members were around that as well, the, the magistrate would certainly step in and go, well, no, because we've got this, we've got to consider A, B and C for this. And so the panel members then have to continue with the deliberation. So right. it's it's not a case where we'd go rogue and and give somebody a completely unreasonable sentence. Mm. You know, we even had an incident many years ago where one of the elders, he, he was very um, staunch and he'd crack the whip, so to speak, and he wanted to throw everyone into jail. <laughs> so we had to, you know, have the balance there and the magistrate there was very good at doing that as well. Mm. So it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's a good exercise to see the deliberation. Marie, um, can you help us to understand what's the benefit that you see flowing from the circle sentencing process? So, one, the defendant, they are held accountable. They can't hide behind their solicitors to, um, to allow them to speak on their behalf and it's before community Members. Accountable to to your community. Community, absolutely, yeah. yes. Mm. And two, it's the opportunity to be able to speak potential and and um, hope into somebody's life, especially if you look at some of the defendants and you see their criminal history. Uh, you know, some of them they've been offending since they were teenagers, since they were kids, and you you could be looking at someone who's in their 30s and it's you think why is there a gap in their in their offending there's like a two-year gap oh that's because I was in prison yeah, <laughs> you right. know so yeah. well the judges see that too yeah so us as panel members getting to see that but then saying don't you want to change your life mm. you've got all these support services and people around you if you engage with them it's actually quite astonishing to see how disengaged people are from community in general when you see someone who's got all these issues, barriers, if they were connected to services and connected to people and groups, it could alleviate. That's true, of course, of kids or young people right across the side. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the issues we fail, I think, to get kids when they leave school 
to then become effective participants in different community sporting or other organisations. Yes. Which would do a lot of kids a lot of good. Yes. And in terms of the circle outcomes, is there follow-up? Do you get to understand uh, how the uh, person has travelled after they've been sentenced? There is a level of follow-up, not necessarily from the circle sentencing project officer role. Um, it's A lot of it's done through the connections with other service providers as well. So if, for example, somebody was referred to a drug and alcohol counselling service or referral service, usually the project officer would have some sort of connection with them so that it would be like a, a soft follow-up more than anything. And in some cases, the um, project officer would work with the community panel members and the Aboriginal Community Justice Group to do follow-ups, just ringing around, getting a verbal of, of how the defendant was going. What's the success rate? The evaluation that was conducted by Boxer back in 2020, um, they looked at three factors. One, obviously, the reoffending rate, and they found that with this... Um, with circle sentencing, 4% reduction in people reoffending um, who have been through circle. Mind you, we're only operating in 12 courts yeah. out of 148, I think mm. there is across the state. Mm. So that's not too bad. We've mm. had 1,500 participants over the 20 year span. I think it's of about to grow, isn't it, too? Isn't it, it is. We've got some expansions that are happening. Yeah. Um, and then the time that people have reoffended after circle has been a lot longer. I think the evaluation stated 55 days longer for people to reoffend. That's right. good because very you know, often they just turn around and do it again. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so we've had some good successes there. And then again, I, I guess the softer side of the success is the connection that people have, getting involved and connected to services to help them deal with their issues. And. As far as going forwards with this program, you mentioned it's going to grow. In what way is it going to grow? So we're looking at more locations um, that will eventually start. By the end of this year, I'd say we'd have probably another five to six locations where we have circle settings. Um, and I think communities... I guess the justice system is starting to realise that you need to engage community to be able to address the issues, the legal issues or justice issues in community. Um, it, it can't always be that punitive approach. There has to be the engagement of community and getting the voice in there to to give guidance and even to give, get access into the communities as well. Um, yeah. Some, I guess we have a particular way of doing things when we're doing it from a government perspective or from a policy perspective. But we don't always think about how the implementation of that affects communities. So when you're getting community feedback on how the policies affect and are impacting community people, if we're able to tweak that, then we might get a greater impact or a greater outcome and maybe reduce people having contact with police and courts and prison. Now, someone's offended and been through a circle process and maybe have done a short prison term yep. and then they've released and then they re-offend, uh, are they likely to end, end up before a circle the second time or is it one chance only that you get? It originally started off as one chance only mm -hmm. but 
now people have come before circles a couple of times and and I guess you've got to take the perspective that people we're complex and it's taken many years for people to to have these behaviors offending behaviors a one shot in a diversion program or an intervention program doesn't necessarily always it's not the silver bullet no so sometimes it's got to happen a few times over before you can start to get some runs on the board. And the system no doubt evaluates the individual when they come back into yes. the system to and see whether or not there will be benefit yeah. by having another circle. That's right. And that's how we got to, in the last evaluation from Box, I got to see that some of these defendants, it took longer for them to re-offend than what it would have in the past. Um, is circle sentencing welcomed by the Aboriginal community? Yes, in most communities, yes. Oh, I don't think I've heard of any community saying no. Yeah. If anything, I guess the questions around Circle now is, is obviously like the logistics side, the impact on people, community panel members having time available, um, especially if they're working, they've got to go and negotiate time with their employers to be able to come and sit on the Circle. So they, those, are, I guess, are some of the challenges that we have. Um, and then exhausting our uh, circle panel members as well, especially if we're getting more coming through. Uh, we've got to make sure that we've got a great got a, pool. Got a resource, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, are there any changes to the way it operates that you can see coming, or do you think it's now working in the way best suited to the needs? I think at this stage, the way it's working now is great, but um, certainly room for for it to evolve but the beauty of circle is that it can be tailored to the local community like the the fundamentals must remain the same the operation of how we follow the regulations and the procedure manual but how we implement that we're able to do that to tailor it to the local community is circle sentencing available in western new south wales we do have some locations we're walgett we've got moree um, Armadale. We did have Circle operating in Burke and Bree Warrena, um, but uh, uh, that's kind of slowed down a little bit. We are looking at, uh, I think, expanding to Broken Hill, but I'm not too sure when that's going to be happening. But that was one of the locations included in the um, latest announcement. Are there resource issues in operating Circle in those places? Um, to some extent, I think we have a competing priorities with circuit magistrates in particular because they're in locations on a circuit basis in some instances it could be fortnightly or monthly we've got to appreciate that the time that circle court takes also takes off time from the magistrates court listing as well so it's a little bit hard to navigate that um, but it has worked it has worked in the past Marie this has been a fascinating discussion about a very important development in the law. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to Marie Jennings, who, as you have heard, has a wealth of experience in circle sentencing, both as a community panel member sitting on circles and from an operational perspective. This podcast, Sentencing Explained, is brought to you by the New South Wales Sentencing Council. The teacher's guide to the podcast and further information about the council is available on the Sentencing Council's website. I'm Peter McClellan. Thank you for listening. Listening.